Strangers and Aliens, episode 148, In Search of Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Pretty good, Ben. How are you doing? Not bad. Hello, listeners. How are you doing? We're doing great. <laughs> it's Strangers and Aliens. I'm Ben Avery. I've been joined by Stephen McDonald. That's me. And Dr. Jace O'Neill is not here just because he's not here. <laughs> Well, he's got big, you know, he's a, he's a pastor, so sometimes he has things that actually have, like, real-life implications. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's that's why we haven't recorded together in, like, a month. So. Right, yeah, and you have real-life implications. I did. I did. Yeah. Man, that was, that was intense. That was yeah, intense. Maybe we can do an episode on that sometime. Maybe we could. Maybe we could. I wasn't really a part of all the intensity other than I was helping with child care. I was oh. I was doing the child programming so <laughs> that something oh it is something yeah I mean it was it was big as far as like planning and stuff like that but I was involved in that uh, so that the adults could do their thing you know without having to worry right. about giving little Johnny uh, you know wiping little Johnny's nose or popsicles uh, yeah Pop, yeah popsicles because that's what you give kids at a revival meeting yeah um, <laughs> that's the way to do it it got huge. It got oh, yeah. huge. It, it was supposed to be just one week, and then they were going to do these like trainings and prayer meetings and stuff like that on weekends, leading up to a final week in the beginning of summer. That would be so basically two weeks of evening services and that kind of thing, and uh, and they just got such momentum. They said, you know what, we're going to continue this, and they continued it for fifty-two days. Um, kind of taking that number because they were taking a lot of inspiration from the book of Nehemiah as they were going with this. But it was, uh, it's an outreach program as far as, but different than anything I've ever seen happen or seen people emphasize because the lead, when they would go and talk to people, was, How can I pray for you? Rather than, you know, going up and saying, Hey, do you know Jesus? It's, Hey, how can I pray for you? And then that opens up these conversations, and they had these um, cool Bibles that had, like, uh, the tabs, but the tabs didn't take you to the the books, the different books of the Bible. It took you to specific verses okay. to share with people. And um, and they in the mornings, they would go out in prayer teams and go to churches and ask to see this pastor and then ask the pastor, how can we pray for you? And they pray for the pastors. That's cool. And then they'd come and meet together for a, a lunch at a different church every every day of the week. So our church, we had Tuesdays that they would come to ours for a prayer meeting and lunch, and then they'd go out in the afternoons to go out and, you know, find people, go to different... They would go knock on doors and houses and that kind of thing. And again, just that, how can we pray for you kind of 
um, introduction and they they pray and they listen and they talk and then we'd have the evening services and yeah they they did it for 52 days and it was wow. insanity now i i did not do the children's programming every every day of the week just happened to be thursday it was just thursdays yeah which is our recording day so yeah. um and you know real world real world things can take precedence over you know, hobbies like this. Yeah. So, and um, it, it, it's it's sort of too bad because we had like five thousand feet of snow, and you know, any of those Thursdays, I was probably pretty much free and and packed in. Yeah. <laughs> well. But anyway, what are you going to do? Real world stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I mean, this is real world. I mean, it's voices. It's not like we're just making up stuff. Right, but we're talking about fantasy and science fiction. Right, right. So so this is my first Thursday without having to come up with some sort of object lesson that goes with the lesson that they gave me and then having to do the teaching time with small groups and games and all that kind of thing. So Yeah. Uh, I did some fun object lessons, though. I did the smoke ring cannon. Have you ever seen okay. that? It's really cool. You take a big old trash can cut a hole in the bottom of it and then put like a shower curtain over the open end to be like a drum head and you fill it with smoke and you tap the drum head and it shoots out smoke rings that ah, like cool. they go the length of the room it was really cool it was really cool that what that was just to show you one little thing can cause a chain reaction and have you know implications way out there that you don't even know and is that little thing going to be something that you did that was kind and loving and showing Jesus's love or is that little thing going to be something that, you know, you being selfish or trying to hurt someone? Because the little things we do can have such big influence later on in life. Right. And, and so just tap, tap, and those smoke rings and the kids were just going crazy. It was fun. <laughs> it was cool. fun. I think I have one of the best jobs in the world doing that stuff. Yeah. So. It sounds like a ton of fun. Okay. So... <clears throat> We are here, actually, then, to talk about Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Now, here's the thing. This was a really... This was a really interesting thing for me as I kind of am looking in and observing my own feelings and reactions to things. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got this news, I was kind of taken aback in ways that I have not felt in other, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like celebrity um, passing away. You know, I, this was one of those where it's like, oh, and I actually had to sit back and kind of internalize a little bit and say, why, why is this kind of impacting me a little bit more than say, I don't know. I can't think of it. Well, Glenn Larson. (laughs) I mean, we did an episode about Glenn Larson. That was the first time we've done an episode that's like reacting to someone's death right um but that was because his hands were in so many different things that we were a part of growing up and so this was a man who he wasn't he wasn't a george lucas but just the sheer volume of things that he (laughs) helped you know and, and was a part of george lucas it's star wars i mean let's face it star wars is the thing that he did that had an influence on us right American Graffiti was good. T 
THX 1138 had good parts to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Indiana Jones, yeah, but Indiana, Indiana Jones wouldn't have happened without Star Wars. No. You know, so... Um, so Glenn Larson was no George Lucas, but because he was involved in so many different things, there was that. And so then to look at, uh, you know, this death, this is, this is a big figure, a towering figure mm-hmm. in sci-fi and, and in fantasy. Um, and you know why I put them together, right? That he's a towering figure in sci-fi and in fantasy. Of course. Because of this. You just, you can't separate it. Uh-oh, wait. Oh, not that. <laughs> <laughs> Timing, bad. <laughs> DJ Jazzy Ben Avery. Oh, DJ Jazzy Ben. How did you know my rap name? How did you know? I know everything about you, Ben. Oh, man. Okay, no, not because, not because of my rap name, because of this. In the middle of the earth, in the land of yeah only three feet tall think about this for a second here though that is mr spock singing about J.R.R. tolkien's arguably his most famous character before the movies because of the movies, I think Gandalf and Frodo are actually a little more famous now. But yeah, yeah. Before the movies, it was Bilbo because oh, he yeah, had because he had the the show that got lots more reruns with with the <laughs> Hobbit TV cartoon. <laughs> yeah. That actually I saw on TV. I never saw any of the animated Lord of the Rings on TV. They just didn't I, get the play. But yeah, I did. And then you have but the I'm book, of course. Much older than you. Well, yeah, but. I saw it Saturday afternoons. My my syndicated movie television station did not play any of those Lord of the Rings things, but they played Hobbit multiple times. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was able to watch it three, four, five times because of that and not because we had it on tape or anything. So just because of syndication. But anyway, <laughs> I just think... You know, there's a, yeah, there's there's definitely a cheesiness to the, the song. There's a kitsch to the song, but it's Leonard Nimoy. It's Mr. Spock singing about Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. Um. There's just something I don't know. There's something joyful and <laughs> and gleeful. Now the video itself. Hmm. <laughs> Have you seen it? I don't. I don't know if I've seen it. Well, they're out like in the hills of uh, Los Angeles, I think. At least that's what it looks like to me. And there's these um, dancers who are doing these weird, like if you didn't know they were trying to be an LV little hobbity type of thing, you'd think they were trying to be a um, a, a penguin with a bad back. And they're wearing sweatshirts, you know, brightly colored sweatshirts and sweatpants. And they're bouncing around and they're jumping around and they're, yeah, it's it's really, really bizarre. Wow. So, but the other Thanks thing that goes, <laughs> the other thing that goes to is his music. I mean, he was a guy who dabbled in lots and lots of different art forms. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so his music was just one. And I understand you have a little bit of a connection to his music, right? I I have the vinyl. <laughs> the actual vinyl. Of the Ballad the of Bilbo Baggins? Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. And what caused you to get this this vinyl? That's a funny thing. I have so much vinyl that I'm not exactly sure where it came from. Um, so, you know, if one of my friends are listening to this and saying, <laughs> I, I gave it to you, I'm, I'm sorry. I've completely forgotten where I got it. Um, but most likely it was part of uh, a bunch of records that someone gave me. And I thank you very much for those those records, but I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the the repository of, of you know people when they're getting rid of their records they're like oh Steve will take them and I do you, you would yeah I've got a handful of vinyl up on my shelf up there I've got the Close Encounters nice certain yeah. kind soundtrack that's good stuff good stuff so Leonard Nimoy he's from your neck of the woods Boston Massachusetts yeah Boston Mass yep born and uh, uh, grew up there. Um, I don't know much more about his background really than that because you told me that and then I was like, oh, look at that. It's right there on his Wikipedia page, Boston, yeah. Massachusetts. I'm trying to remember because I, I, I heard it. I, I heard a thing recently about, you know, what he would put all his stuff, but I, for some reason, I just did not retain it. <laughs> we should take a note for the episode. Well, <clears throat> I think I was driving my bus at the time. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff about his his life that's been posted on different you know, NPR and right. um, New York Times and all that kind of thing. But I mean, for me, just watching him in the last few years, there's obviously the th- things with his um, photography that's been coming up, and um, I think photography was his main his main artistic output. Yeah, that's right. He was, in, uh, in the later, he, later years of his life here. Yeah. He had, uh, displays and, you know, big places. Um, cause he was doing, well, I know he was doing things that had to do with his Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, cause was he, was he, a, was he an Orthodox Jew or was he just, um, just that he grew up with that background? He may have been an Orthodox Jew. I'm not sure if he, you know, continued through his life. Um, but I know that's where he got the 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 Vulcan, you know, split finger sign. Mm-hmm. That that is a it's an old uh, 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 priestly blessing sign that uh, you'll uh, you know you'll find them in old uh, Jewish family crests and things like that. Um, the you know the split fingered sign. So. Uh, when he was uh, younger, and they were, you know, they, everyone was closing their eyes during prayer. He looked up, or you know, opened his eyes, or you know, peeked to see what was going on. And the priest was giving that, you know, sign and blessing uh, the the people that were there. And he remembered that. And then when it came to, you know, having something specific for uh, Spock to do, um, you know, some physical thing he said hey how about this and and there you go yeah that's um i always when i was i remember when i was younger and i found that out and i was like that is so cool but that's (laughs) that's so cool he's blessing us yeah 
but he's been involved with um, directing films, acting in films, obviously, mm-hmm. writing. Um, I mean, he's written a couple biographies, but he also wrote comics. Do you remember the the uh, comics? What did he do? Comics? He did. Do you remember Techno Comics? They had a bunch of books. Uh, they were they weren't written by the people who created them, but they had Gene Roddenberry had a, had a couple titles. I think. I think so. Neil yeah. Gaiman had a couple titles. Um, oh, who else was involved in that? I, I think Isaac Asimov might have even had a title or two in that. Uh, but then, um, yeah, uh, Nimoy had had his his book was Prime Mortals. I never read it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I read it, but yeah, I mean he he was into everything, and then he did the music stuff, and he actually wasn't bad with his music. Um, I recently heard his his version of uh, "Don't Take Your Love to Town." <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's not bad at all. Um, That's funny. Yeah, I don't. I didn't have it on vinyl, but I did have a CD that came out. I don't want to say in the last 15, 20 years, maybe 20, 25 years, but there was a CD that was half, half of the songs were William Shatner's and half the songs were Leonard Nimoy's. Wow. So it had, you know, Shatner's rocket man. And then it had Nimoy's. The one was, uh, (laughs) highly illogical, which is like all these observations about human life. That's just illogical. Right. I don't remember too many. There's something about the cars. Everyone has a car, but no one has a place to park kind of thing. <laughs> and then there was a song that he did called, I have to look here now, A Visit to a Sad Planet. Yeah. Can I spoil it? Go ahead. Okay. It's a sci-fi song where he's like narrating it. It's his captain's log and they find this planet that's really irregular orbit and... It's messed up, and they're they're investigating it, and they find out that everyone's killed each other, kind of thing. But guess what, Steve? I can't imagine. What could it be? The planet what? that they're on is Earth. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's an that's an old mo- motif too. I mean, old time radio oh, yeah. when they were doing oh, yeah. stuff. You know the the. Uh, they would go to this planet and it was all radioactive and, oh, I wonder what, you know, what happened here. And they take off and then, hey, what was the name of that planet again? Oh, the natives called it Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the big, you know, reveal. Um, Twilight Zone did that yep. often. Yep. I, th- I think they went to that well maybe four or five times. <laughs> um, I think so. But speaking of Twilight Zone. Yeah, well, I think, I think yeah, another Nimoy. Another Nimoy connection here. Yeah, um, I mean, it's in a different way than like the Glenn Larson kind of thing, but mm-hmm. um, he's got his fingers in so much. Um, now, obviously, Twilight Zone, he was in, I think, one episode, so it wasn't like, oh, he's such a, a groundbreaking part of that groundbreaking series, right? Um, like Burgess he, Meredith or something, right? Burgess Meredith, I think, would be one of the few actors. That could be said to be, you know, a regular, and, right. and to be regular enough and memorable enough to be an actor who is a face for right, the yeah. Twilight Zone. Um, there's a handful of writers that you could say, yeah, Twilight Zone happened because of 
you know, Charles Beaumont and, and Rod Serling right. and, right. and uh, some of those guys. But, um, but then he was also in the Outer Limits. And that's actually, I remember his Outer Limits uh, appearance far more than his Twilight Zone appearance. I had to look up to remember what episode he was even in for the Twilight Zone. But for <laughs> Outer Limits, he was in two. I don't think I ever saw one of them, but the other one was iRobot. Was he in iRobot? He was. He was in the Outer Limits episode that was an adaptation of Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we're talking original Outer Limits, black and white, not not the uh, the remake series right, that, right, that right. actually gained quite a bit of traction, I think, there in the 90s. But, well, um, I think it actually did pretty well. Yeah, he, he played... Uh, Played Judson Ellis. Of course, now this is me looking it up, though. I, <laughs> no, it's all from memory. Yeah, but uh, I don't remember the character. Um, but he plays. Um, I, I believe that's the lawyer character mm-hmm. in in that episode. So I think it was loosely based on Isaac Asimov's iRobot. I don't think it was. It may not story. have been a direct adaptation of it, but it was definitely well, based on it. Well, iRobot was the it was a collection of short stories, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and this was just one story about a robot in a court, right? Court mm-hmm. type of a a thing. Yeah, and yeah. and it, and that that episode gets into the you know is, can a robot be a person and you know the personhood yeah. of of a mechanical being and kind of getting into some of those. Um, those those questions early on in in that that particular trope. So yeah, um, yeah, and so from there, he's in so many things. You know, we were talking about do we go through his his catalog <laughs> of, of things that he's been in? I just think it's too big. I mean, you know, obviously Star Trek, uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, well, you know, he, let's he, slow down, he, slow down, because we we'll want to. I think we want to park on some of these here, like Star Trek. I mean, that's something we we should talk about, right? Or do, or do you want to just blast blast through? I I don't know if people really want to hear more about <laughs> you know other people's uh, uh, experiences of, of watching him or what what he meant to. I mean, it's. It's sort of a given. I mean, if you're a Star Trek person, or even if you passably, you know, enjoy the the Star Trek movies or whatever, you understand his his massive impact. I mean, he's the he's the crossover character between the original and the reboot. Uh, he was in um, the the Next Generation. I think he was the first uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, original character to be in the next in the in Star Trek: The no, Next Generation. No. McCoy so was had, McCoy was in the pilot. I don't know if he was. He was. Was he? Yeah. I haven't seen it in such a long time. Yeah, he might he, be right. He was in the pilot episode. Um, and then Sarek was in an episode. Yeah, Sarek. But not yeah. as a he, – he wasn't a main cast member. But yeah. um, it was pretty momentous when they brought Nimoy on for yeah. that, that two-parter. And then yeah. they did the reveal. I mean, obviously, we knew the reveal was coming because that's something they highly promoted. But So let me ask you this, Steve. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would Star Trek be what it is without Nimoy and Spock? Would 
I, and I, I ask that not, I mean, because there was a lot of Star Trek without him, but that was later on, and that was after the groundwork in the three seasons, and the, the you know the, the four five four movies before Next Generation. Right. I think. Out. I mean, if you look at the the triad, you have you know the 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 heart, soul, and and, and spirit. Mind. You know, in, in the mind of of that mm-hmm. that thing. I mean, that, that's what he was trying to uncover. So, if you didn't have Spock, you would have to have someone else in that role. And if you completely took that role out, then no, it it wouldn't hold up. It, it wouldn't do what it was supposed to do. It would be doing something completely different. Um, but I mean, I, he. I, I look at it though as he's so identified with this character of Spock. And Spock is one of the characters that people most resound with. Mm-hmm. And when you look at people who are fans of Star Trek, you know, I'm I'm a Kirk guy, you know. When it comes mm-hmm. to captains, he's my captain. You know, he's the one because he was the guy that was captain when I started watching when I was in sixth grade. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but Star Wars for me, I can't remember a time without Star Wars. That And, and it was... Obvious, uh, absolutely influential in my life as far as mm. capturing my imagination and just the broadness of imaginative scope with Star Wars and the action and the adventure and the humor and all that kind of thing. Mm. Star Trek was there and I was aware of Star Trek, but just as this vague other thing that was in space until I was in, I think it was sixth or seventh grade around in there. And my local station was playing the reruns every weekday at like five or six o'clock or something like that. And I started watching it and it hit me at just the perfect time to capture my, my mind, not just my imagination. I mean, there was the imagination was involved obviously, but just that connection of imagination and, and science fiction. I mean, that was the perfect moment for me to catch science fiction put together like peanut butter and chocolate. You know, right. And, and, right. And so it's this nice combination of, you know, a Reese's peanut butter cup in, <laughs> in my mind anyway. And so I look at, you know, Kirk as the guy who I want to be as a hero, you know, uh, obviously there's aspects of him that I don't want to be, um, he, that, that Shatner brings to it. I mean, Shatner's ego definitely seeps into the character of Kirk and Shatner's, um, bravado that he brings to it. But with Spock, I think with most Star Trek fans who love Spock, it's because they relate to him. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't see him as a hero that it would be cool if I could be like him, or they don't see him as, you know, the leader that they want to be. They see him as the guy that they relate to because he's an outsider. Right. You know, because he is. He, he has a hard time relating to the people around him and people around him have a hard time relating to him mm-hmm. where the fantasy and the um, wish fulfillment comes in with Spock is that the people around Spock respect him and value him. And so you have the Kirk and the McCoy, you know, who have, have him in the circle and you have the other characters on the ship 
who they value Spock. They respect him. Um, Spock is needed for them to succeed. And so that's where you look in and see, oh, I'm like him. I'm an outsider. But he gets embraced into the family. And, you know, there's there's hope, I guess, in some ways that I could be too. Or that people start looking for how am I being embraced into the family. So Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> We're not editing, so that stays oh, in. Um, but, I mean, so that's where I think that he, of, of all the characters, I think potentially you could have had a different person playing McCoy. Or you could have kept that old doctor um, right, from, from, the, from the original pilot. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not so sure about Kirk. I'm not so sure if, if Shatner would be irreplaceable or not. Um, I think you could. I mean, there's obviously Shatner made that role, you know, three and a half dimensional and just popped it. <laughs> um, but that's not to say another actor couldn't have done that. I think you're right. Spock, uh, Leonard Nimoy in that role, it's very difficult to, to, you know, especially looking at the actors of the time and say, you know, someone else could have done it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I think Roddy that, McDowell maybe, but you know, even that it, it just, it would have been different. It would have been so different that it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it was a perfect storm when you're looking at Spock of actor and role and time and place, you know, mm-hmm. as far as like the years, you know, in the late sixties that the show was coming out, um, Shatner may not be replaceable as Kirk, but I think Star Trek could have be- become Star Trek without him. I don't yeah. think it could have without without Nimoy. And so yeah. then this and so this is kind of my thought process here, Steve, as as I was kind of processing through his death is then the the influence on my my writing, on my imaginative play as a youngster and on my imaginative um expression now even as an adult and obviously a lot of this responsibility goes to Shatner and there's responsibility much responsibility going to to Roddenberry mm-hmm. um but Star Trek being what it was and what it became is directly attributed to a whole lot of other factors but one of the biggest being Nimoy and right. so that's where I was kind of oh you know maybe this is part of why this is striking me as it has is because I grew up with him now, you know, for not my entire life, like with Star Wars, but more, um, yeah, you know, 35, 38, no, no other way, <laughs> uh, 28, <laughs> let's go with 20. I'm doing the, I'm not carrying the one, I think, with yeah. my math here, but I care that um, one, buddy. I'm 40. You know, and so when I was when I was twelve, so now we're talking about twenty eight years ago, uh, you know, eleven wow. and twelve years old. This is it's been a part of my life since then. So, um, and and, and he's been a, a visible face with that. So anyway, um, 
that's that's kind of my thought process of why does this affect me more than than say I can't think of anybody else that in recent years. <laughs> but but even more so than like when the Forrest Kelly passed away or, or uh, um yeah I I, I can't James Doohan James Doohan yeah yep so <clears throat> anyway you said that that knew I had a a pretty big influence with you, but it wasn't from Star Trek. Yeah, it was um, when he did uh, In Search Of. And it was right at a time where, you know, my brain was just bulging over with, you know, are, are aliens real? And uh, what is Stonehenge? And uh, you know, all these different things. And I was brought up in a, a Christian home and a Christian family. But still, I was I was going to a, a, you know, a regular school and being influenced by you know, all these different things. Um, but it just sort of posed the questions and it might've given you some answers and some clues and, and, you know, a little bit of information and it never really answered anything. But at the time, that's, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for, you know, stuff that I could sort of sink my teeth into and keep going. And it, uh, started a, a years long, um, interest in, you know the, the the odd and the mysterious and and all that stuff, uh, which never really cleared itself up until I really started digging back into the Bible, and you know finding out that you know well obviously there's answer for this and the, the answer for that really doesn't you know make any difference and you know who cares what those people did because that was you know something that had no Christian influence and blah 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 blah. So, um, but for the longest time. I mean, I still have books and books and books of, you know, the minutia of the world, the, you know, all these little things that happened or appeared, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <like> <laughs> um, and, you know, in, in some ways it still intrigues me, but nowadays I I look at it more as just like a, a curiosity or, you know, something that I can say, well, you know, I, I know better now, you know, I, I've. I've done the the biblical groundwork that I can sort of answer some of these things now and and not be uh, mystified by them. Yeah, and I think actually for me it's a similar thing with being interested in those things. It's just now I look at it and I'm just kind of like, well, you know, it interests me in the same way that sci-fi and fantasy interests me. Mm -hmm. But I have to make a confession. I mean, this show was on, what, for five six seasons something like that i never saw it once wow never saw it once i really wish i had because i loved um like uh that's incredible when i was a kid and i read all those books you're talking about too where it was like um from my school library Mm -hmm. ufos and um psychic phenomena and you know all those uh, bigfoot Oh, Bigfoot. Now, yeah. Bigfoot really interested in me, but mainly because of um, Six Million Dollar, dollar Man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I I really was – when I, I did not even know he did this until I want to say, boy, possibly three years ago. I hadn't even wow. heard of this series. And <clears> – <throat> Wow. Yeah. I'm actually looking up right now on uh, on Amazon, and it's currently out of stock in that one. 
And it's $135 for the complete series. I don't know if it's worth that much. Seasons for $15 each. I was hoping it'd be on their uh, Prime Instant video, but it doesn't look like it. It's part of Prime where you can get it shipped for free. I think YouTube has some. Yeah, but yeah, that seems like just the exact kind of show that (laughs) I would have loved. I would have loved Unsolved Mysteries. That was another one that I loved watching. Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Oh, it was just so creepy. Even when it wasn't creepy, just the music made it creepy. (laughs) But yeah, so I never saw this show. I wish I had. Maybe I'll try and find it on YouTube. Or maybe, I don't know. Yeah. There's so much other stuff to take my time right now. Yeah. But still, it was uh, phenomenally um, influential. I mean, I still remember. I mean, you know, still remember. Appointment television. But, you know, everything back then was appointment television. You couldn't just <laughs> you yeah. know, watch something. Unless you were rich. Unless you were rich. And there, was no, those, there was no binge watching. One of those beta video recorders yeah beta yeah if you were rich you have it yeah yeah exactly but i I wasn't (laughs) yeah okay so there we are i mean he he's a giant in sci-fi he's a he directed uh you know one of the most favorite uh star trek movies and i think when adjusted for inflation one of the highest grossing Star Trek movies was Star Trek Four. Right. Um, so many like, swears. Yeah. 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 Well, we just actually watched that. I, I uh I've been watching um the the movies to get my my thirteen year old up to speed so he can watch the new ones. Okay. And uh we watched a, I, I found a ten minute version of uh Star Trek the Motion Picture and we watched that. And then we watched uh, why? two and why three. would you why would you do that to your child? Give them oh, a, a. I think any any of our listeners could answer that. But anyway, um, do you know what so I'm reading I, right now? By the way, Steve, my my bedtime reading. What's that? It's a 700 page book that interviews with 60 of pe- the people who worked on Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Wow! It is so interesting. <laughs> it is the book not the movie right well, the okay, book just... is quite possibly written for maybe 3 people in the world and i'm one of them <laughs> nice. i mean it's about 70s cinema it's about yeah. 70s sci-fi it's about just the the nuts and bolts i mean there's there's whole there's a whole page where it's just interviewing the light guy like what kind of lighting he was using for the scenes and that kind of thing and right. it's about star trek the motion picture and Nimoy, Shatner, um, Duhan, Koenig, uh, Nichelle Nichols, all of them. They all are part of the interviews. The, the whole main cast, except for maybe Takai. May, wow. I can't remember I can't remember reading anything with him yet. Um, but yeah, and the Nimoy stuff is really interesting where he's talking about why he didn't want to do the movie. And one of the big reasons was legal. It was legal reasons because he... Uh, um, he wasn't getting paid for them using his likeness in, mm-hmm. in products that had come out between the TV series and the time when they were talking about making the movie. And they decided we need to have Nimoy. And so we're going to take care of this 
right now. And so like the next day they, they met with him, they talked with him the next day, Paramount contacted Nimoy cleared up all the, the, uh, likeness rights and everything like that. An hour later, the contract came an hour later, the script came. It was just like this quick, quick, quick thing. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's, that's my bedtime reading right now. I've been reading it for about a month. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Cause there's some nights where I'm just too tired. And, and you, it's, do you read like, do you read like one story a night or something? Or? No, no, it's, it's presented like a documentary. You know how they'll cut from person to okay. person just as – and it's all presented then chronologically. So the the interviews may not have been chronological as far as like when Shatner's talking about all this stuff. Right. But they're taking Shatner's part about this. Got it. You know, and, and so it's all – and it was meant to be an episode – or not an episode, an issue of uh, Cine Fantastique. <laughs> but it was too long and then – it was looking like the movie wasn't going to be ready in time. So they decided not to do the special issue. And then the movie didn't hit as well with critics as they thought. So they're just like, we're dumping it. So it came out last year in this, in this huge, like, uh, basically it's, it's a vanity press that, that I think that, that printed it, but wow. Super interesting to me and possibly me alone. Um, <laughs> But but anyway, you you had your kid watch a ten minute version of motion picture. Yeah. Then we watched two and three, and then when uh, Leonard Nimoy died, I said, "You know what? We're going to watch number four. So we sat down and watched it. The one thing you could say about the swears with number four, though, is that the swears in number four, some of it is almost to make fun of swears. Right, yeah, comical. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of times where they take the Lord's name in vain, and I really don't like that. <laughs> I'm always apologizing in movies whenever that happens to him. I feel like I shouldn't be exposing it to it, and, 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 and I guess in a real way we shouldn't. You know, it's it's terrible and it's horrible what what people do with the Lord's name. Um, but sometimes I just I forget what was in a movie. Oh, I don't and, forget from this one because <laughs> it was such I, a big part of the movie. Well, I, I remember the the little the little ones like you know double dumb mm-hmm. on you and you know the the H's and things yeah, like that. Yeah. But you know there were there were a couple the you colorful know, metaphors that Spock used. Yeah, yeah, but there were some ones where they they really yeah it was it was the Lord's name and it was in vain. So yeah. uh, I don't approve of that, but it's hard to get away from it. And you know what? That's one of the things when I, I'm thinking about uh, Star Wars and Star Trek. Why Star Wars? Uh, for a Christian kid, was more w- w- you know, better than Star Trek, was because in Star Trek they came from Earth and they used Earth language, and sometimes, especially in the movies, they had Earth swears mm-hmm. and Earth uh, taking the name, the Lord's name in vain. And with with Star Wars, you know, you got a, a, a damn or a hell or something. But other than that, you know, it, it wasn't you didn't get swear words. I mean, they didn't even make it up. It wasn't like Felger Carb or something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, they they just stayed away from it. And I think that was one of the the, the things that put Star Wars over uh, Star Trek for me as, as originally. I mean, initially. Well, I, I'll st- I mean, I, I still think even though some people don't agree with me about this, but with Star Trek, it was it was made by adults for adults. It wasn't 
Probably, yeah. You know, I mean, the Star Trek the motion picture, starting there, okay, they were making it as a motion picture because of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a lot of ways, not a response to Star Wars other than a studio response to say there's money to be made there. There's, there's, right. there's gold in them, there hills. <laughs> and so with Star Trek, the motion picture, they actually, in the, in the book I'm reading, they described it as it's a cross between Star Wars and 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> and yeah. if, if you put it in those terms, it almost is. You could almost say, yeah, it fits right halfway in between where Star Wars would be on the action scale and the action sci-fi scale and 2001 would be on the action sci-fi scale. But even Star Trek 2 II and 3 was really more, you know, Star Trek 2 is about aging, mm-hmm. getting old and the new generation coming in and and the youngsters, you know, coming in and and it's about the you know the the mistakes of our youth coming back to us in our in our age right and it's about the wisdom of age being able to um defeat you know it's 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 kirk coming face to face with his own son who's you know a 20 something but then he's also fighting against you know, kirk is getting glasses for his yeah. eyes because he's old he's allergic to retinix 5 or whatever right I was just thinking about this um, just the other day, and I hadn't thought of this in this way before. He's aging, and he's feeling the effects of time on his body, on his mind, and on his you know his emotional well-being. And he is going up against a, a villain, a nemesis, who doesn't age, or who ages really, really well. You know, he's right. yeah, he's really, really old, and. <laughs> He's, he's really, really fit. I mean, he's got this incredible, incredible pectoral muscles. Yeah. You know, Kirk does not have those pecs. <laughs> not at all, you know, and it's about aging. And yeah, there's action. There's enough action for a young viewer, unlike Star Trek The Motion Picture. Although even as a young viewer, I like Star Trek The Motion Picture, but that's another story. There's enough action for the young viewer, but it's about aging and getting old and dealing with the fact that you're not that young cowboy anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it's also about loss. And then then you have Star Trek Three. still, there. it's adult themes, it's adult ideas. Uh, Star Trek Four. you're getting more crossover into younger audiences because of some of those jokes that we were talking about and the whales right, right. and all that kind of thing. Nuclear vessels. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but that's another big difference. Star Wars is an all-ages family fantasy movie right or it was with with yeah. the first original trilogy and and then with the 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 prequel trilogy say what you will about liking or not liking different parts there's absolutely uh, a feeling of just not knowing who it's for right um it's kitty fun yeah I mean, with jar jar and uh, i mean as much as as everyone universally hates Jar Jar, I mean that's why he put it in there to to make it for ten year old kids to laugh, you know. So, yeah. so but we're talking about Leonard Nimoy. Yes, the polar opposite of Jar Jar. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe in some way. I think in a lot of ways. But you know, talking about Star Trek Four and Star Trek Three as a director, that was when I was getting into Star Trek. Star Trek Three had just gotten out on VHS. 
mm-hmm. and Star Trek Four. That was the first movie I got to see in theaters. But wow. this is where, up until that point, I knew George Lucas and I knew Steven Spielberg. Those were guys I knew as directors because of E.T. and because of Star Wars and because of Jaws and Indiana Jones to a lesser extent. It was, But it was there. And this is when these movies come out and I realize, wait a minute. Leonard Nimoy helped write this? Wait a minute. He directed... And now I'm starting to see, and I got the back behind the scenes, uh, not comics, the behind the scenes uh, magazines, though, the official movie magazines, and it's interviews about making the movie, and and you know these back behind the scenes stories of of you know being on the streets of San Francisco and and uh, having them you know improv the the nuclear vessels thing right yeah and oh, it was so interesting to me and then just to see leonard nimoy as that guy who's behind the camera and in front of it that was that was one of those things that you, it was just opening my mind to these artistic things beyond how the story itself right right and being involved in the story but now being involved in looking at the the art- artistry behind it Right, it's sort of in a meta way you're yeah, looking yeah. at it now. Yeah, that's yeah. what the uh, the the um, like the behind the scenes, you know, special effects and stuff like that. When when Star Wars came out, they would do these, you know, special effect shows and show uh-huh. you how things were done. And that's when I started to think about you know the meta process of making movies and stuff like that. That's one of the reasons why I bought the Star Wars Blu-ray because it yeah. has those those specials from when you know Star Wars and Empire and, and Jedi yep. came out. Yeah, um, and, and they didn't have those with, you know, Star Trek so much, but they yeah. did have Entertainment Tonight, where they would show you sometimes clips of them. <laughs> and I remember, you know, maybe I remember more with Next Generation stuff when when that mm-hmm. was coming out with Entertainment Tonight. But yeah, um, but no, those magazines and Starlog too. Starlog, yeah. Oh man, Starlog! I told you about my my Starlog story, right? Which one? Just what happened when I had my star logs hidden in my room. <laughs> you had them hidden? Yeah. My friend at school, when he moved to Michigan, on their trip from Texas to Michigan, they stopped at a garage sale and he purchased for five bucks. You know, this is nineteen, you know, eighty, eighty six, eighty seven or whatever. But he purchased for five bucks um on almost entire run then of Starlog. So, and, and maybe, maybe I'm imagining more in my, you know, in my age, I'm not remembering correctly, but there is 50 or 60 magazines there Wow! and it included just a whole bunch of really cool stuff. Well, he gave them to me 10 issues at a time at school and I bring them home and I hid them in my room from my parents. <laughs> All right. So, and I hid them under my bed. So it's like this totally completely cliche you know hiding magazines under the mattress but the magazines i'm hiding under the mattress are not what kids typically were hiding under the mattress (laughs) well my mom found them and i can only imagine what she thought like when she goes in my room and realizes that i've you know this stack of magazines hidden that they don't know about because they never they didn't buy these for me and they would know if I if they bought sixty issues of a magazine right nice um 
so I can only imagine what she thought when she found them. But my dad was just like, you know what? You hid them from us um, because you – why did you hide them from us? And I, well, I thought you'd make me – you wouldn't let me keep them. He's like, well, you're right about that. Um, and he's like, because you hid them from us, we're going to have you throw them away. So here's the compromise that I got from them though. They let me cut out every article that had to do with Star Trek. Wow. And so I still have this folder of all these Starlog articles and comics. There's like little, you know, the comics, uh, things or whatever, but, um, yeah. And, and, and so they let me do that. I couldn't keep the magazines. And looking back on it now, I wonder if that's because there were some things in there that were more risque. Right, um, yeah. When there's, there's, you know, articles about special effects and special makeup effects that were, you know, people getting, you know, heads that are, you know, severed heads and, and fake blood yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So looking back on it, I wonder if that's why, if my dad actually, like, looked through them and was like, I don't feel comfortable with my son, you know, having these scantily clad women in the, in the poster advertisements or whatever but right. um yeah <laughs> so that's my starlog thing but uh starlog was another part of that for for me a lot of behind the scenes about modeling and you know interviews with actors and, and all that kind of thing so mm-hmm. yeah i think we kind of been all over the place in this episode <laughs> <laughs> ostensibly this is about uh leonard nimoy in search of leonard nimoy i think our yeah. listeners are going to be listening right now and thinking yeah where is he where did uh, he go? i'm still searching him perhaps <laughs> i've obscured him more <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i think it's time for us to to wrap things up here wrap it up so um if you go to our website which is strangersandaliens.com you can find other episodes you can find um, some articles. Not a lot. We haven't been putting too many articles up there lately, but there are some articles. Um, you can also find our contact page where you can send us a message. Our, our email is podcast at strangersandaliens.com. On Twitter, we are strange and alien. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com slash strangers and aliens. So with all that said... Um, Steve, you have any, any final thoughts, final words? Um, uh, no. no. Okay. No, I I have one final thing. (laughs) If you would like to leave us a voicemail and we would love for you to leave us a voicemail, um, maybe about Leonard Nimoy, what he meant to you. Um, if we totally missed something that you would like us to talk about, uh, you can call 1-804-37- Alien. That's one eight zero four thirty seven alien. One eight zero four three seven two five four three six. So I do want to thank you all for listening, and uh, until next time, Steve. You want to say goodbye? Godspeed. Uh, that's my line. Oh, sorry. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Godspeed, everyone. And here's a little treat for you to send you out on your way out. Stardate 2434.2. First officer's log. On a routine patrol flight in the Milky Way galaxy, 
I discovered on our space sensors an unidentified planet careening wildly in an eccentric solar orbit. I ordered an immediate investigation and with much difficulty maneuvered our ship for a temporary orbit. Upon beaming down to the planet's surface, all I could see were ruins. Ruins of some type of civilization. Crumbled buildings, deserted streets, charred vegetation, all covered with a thick layer of dust, which our scanners indicated as intensely radioactive. I proceeded to make a thorough survey of the area. According to my calculations, I could tell that some recent phenomenon or holocaust had occurred and destroyed whatever advanced civilization had existed on the planet. I found no sign of life. As I made my way back to the ship, I heard a sound. It came from a cellar in one of the nearby buildings. Carefully and slowly, I found my way to the source and discovered a human being. Or rather, what once was a human being. A scarred, disfigured man lying in the rubble. When I questioned him, he told me that this had once been a great world. They had abundance and plenty. Intelligence, beauty, love. There was enough for everyone who lived there. But the inhabitants were never satisfied. They wanted more. They wanted everything. And they started to quarrel amongst themselves. They could not live in peace. And they tried to destroy each other. In doing this, they destroyed everything. Their abundance, their plenty, their own intelligence, their beauty, their love. He told me that so far as he knew, he was the only living thing left, but that he knew he was dying. When I asked him the name of the planet, he replied, we called it Earth. Live long and prosper, everyone. Godspeed.